Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So, Samantha, are you into cult-like entertainment? I am. So actually, I don't know if you knew this, as I studied social work at the University of Georgia, I kind of had a secondary because I was... Stupid me. I don't know why I didn't keep going with it. I was like three or four classes away from actually having it as another major, but religion was going to be another major. And my focus was actually on cults. Really? And Eastern religions. But that not that they have anything the same. They're not. But... Uh, yeah, because I love the whole idea of cults and what it like its background, kind of the beginnings of religion and how it started as cult-like and then mm-hmm. moving on. So yeah, uh, I love different facts. Of course, not the tragedies. I don't yeah. love that. But the fascination of why people follow who they follow and what they believe. Right. Yeah. I, like we talked about in past episodes, I'm not really big into true crime. And I haven't seen a lot of the documentaries or other... I haven't listened to a lot of podcasts that have been done about these cults. But I do... It is one of my favorite kind of genres of horror that I find really upsetting and disturbing. One of my favorite video game series is Silent Hill, which has a big cult element. And I love Midsommar and The Other Lamb. Uh, But they do freak me out. They really unsettle me. And I was in a cult based movie. <laughs> okay, that was not going in my head. You were about to say something else. It's like, wait, what? I was in a cult, Samantha. Which, by the way, I have had friends who were part of cults or grew up in cults or uh, communes, as they would mm-hmm. call it. But they came with very, a lot of trauma. Yeah. I had, I might have told the story before on the show. As far as I know, I don't have any close friends or family that have been involved in cults. But I had a group of friends who... Uh, wanted to see the audit process of Scientology. Like, they didn't mm-hmm. want to join, obviously. Well, I don't know, obviously, but they didn't want to join. And they made this, they were like, we are not going to get separated. We just want to, like, check it out. And they all got separated. I was of like, course. yep. <laughs> don't well, mess that, with that. That's the beginning of, like, several sitcom episodes that I've seen. <laughs> it's not fun, but they all get separated. The first thing, they're like, oh, no. And one of them eventually buys in, and the rest of them are, like, trying to get them out. Mm-hmm. So many plots. So many. Well, who do you think of when you think of cult leaders? Like, what is the stereotypical image that comes to well, mind? Of course, like David Koresh is a big name in the U.S. as someone that we know who is a big leader in cults. I think about actually uh, Scientology as part of that as well. So I think not necessarily a leader, but uh, Leah Remini, who has a show with uh, iHeart, I believe, talking mm-hmm. about her time as a part of a Scientologist group. I think about her sometimes just because she's so loud about it. And there's not too many people who are willing to be loud about it. And I know one of the big things about cults and communes like that are specific to secrecy and blackmail. And there's so many stories. Like I said, I've had friends who are parts of it who had to be like, they did this to me. They told me they had to give, I had to give all this information to them. And yep. how they kind of, just like in a uh, like a domestic violence situation, they strip them of their personality, they strip them of their identity. But yeah, I think about her too, for some reason. Like she pops into my head, obviously, again, not a leader. She's out mm-hmm. and she's talking about some of the issues within her experiences. Yeah. But I, I find that interesting enough because it's one of the bigger, more popular ones, thanks to celebrities, 
right. like her. So yeah, those are, those are the ones that kind of pop into my head. What about you? Yeah, I mean, she's definitely a vocal person when it comes to cults. And this was, researching this episode, I was shocked at how many times a celebrity would come up and I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> they were in this, okay. Yeah. But I do, like, if I just come up with the stereotypical cult leader image, it's usually a white dude with brown hair, or darker hair. All bearded. Yeah, usually kind of Jesus-like. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the most fascinating studies that I did, or a book that I read and we, we researched, and I can't even remember his name, was a book called The God's Chinese Son. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it was this man from China who truly believed he was Jesus' brother and started his own cult <laughs> mm -hmm. within China. But a little not... Like, I don't hear too many where they use Christian-based idea within like China and all that. I've not heard too many. Maybe it's because I haven't looked it up. There are going to be a few we're going to talk about in here, but yeah. And I know like this, there's a fascination of cult, cults in general. And like SNL recently did that, that like music video where the women were talking about how they love murder shows. And then at the end, Nick Jonas comes in. I think it was him. And he was like, what about the cult shows? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we are talking about women cult leaders, specifically in this one. And we're planning on returning to discuss women in cults at large, which we will touch on a little bit. But yeah, we wanted to talk about some of the ladies at the at the forefront of these cults. And it turns out there's there's more than we thought. So this is a two-parter. Ta-da! Yeah. So essentially, after the news broke out about the leader of Love Has Won, which we're going to talk about her in a little bit, we came to a point where we're like, wait, how many female cult leaders are there? Mm -hmm. And what, how, why? Like, there's so many just questions. So definitely <laughs> wanted to look. Again, didn't realize there were so many. Yes. And before we get into this, trigger warning, we are going to be discussing suicide, sexual abuse, violence, death, murder, general abuse, just some not so savory things. Right. Because um, we're talking about cults, but we're not going to go too in depth into any of that. And reminder, always remember that, yes, these are real people still dealing with the fallout in many cases of what we're talking about. And like in our serial killers episode, the history can be a bit exaggerated and hard to pin down, but we did our best. Right. Yeah. So, all right, let's do some basics here before we get into some of the women leaders. After the Manson family shocked the public with the murders, cults became a, a big source of anxiety in the United States, an anxiety that lasted from the late 1960s until the 1990s, spurred on by media coverage. But what exactly is a cult? Well, it turns out that that is a very hard definition <laughs> to pin down. <laughs> Nobody wants to be too precise, it seems. From a Pen Today article, cult is a term that doesn't refer to a religion at all, but is applied to a social movement. People have intuitive feelings about how the word cult should be used, even when an organization or movement meets the criteria of a new religion. Take, for example, Scientology and Mormonism. Both were new religious movements that have evolved into a general understanding of definition of a religion. However, according to Pew Research, non-Mormons in the U.S. are more likely to label Mormonism as a cult. Scientology and Mormonism have outlived their charismatic leaders. And side note from me, the charismatic leader bit is really key in this whole thing. The article continues, they have openly published their beliefs as scripture. Both religions seek truth by offering its 
followers a roadmap for their place in the universe along with a moral code. Those who accept the beliefs and rituals are members of the religion. But many outside consider the movement and its followers to be a cult. And then it goes on to quote linguistics professor Robin Clark, the word cult originally designates a practice of religious veneration and the religious system based around such veneration. For example, the cult of Our Lady of Guadalupe. However, the word was co-opted in the first half of the 20th century by sociology and has come to denote a social group with socially deviant beliefs and practices like a UFO cult. <laughs> And there, there's been a lot of hypocrisy and suspicion when it comes to Eastern religions and anything affiliated with them in the U.S., especially when they become successful. Basically, anything that's not Christianity right. couldn't get caught up in this whole cult conversation. And yeah, uh, that whole idea, there have been a lot of arguments about a new religion, sort of, if it doesn't fit into this Christianity framework, being called a cult. And cults can exist in multiple numbers of ways, religious, commercial, familial, just to name a few. And yeah, the typically that charismatic leader is really, really key. And some of the the things we're going to talk about, like maybe was a cult at one time and then evolved out of it or just depending on who the leader is. Right. Which actually has been the source of conversation around um, Trumpism. Right. And again, this is why we wanted to look at the female leaders because it is so centered around uh, the leaders, these different groups. It's fascinating to see people following women in general. Mm-hmm. So to have the charisma. Yeah. It's typically understated, which is probably why I didn't know as many of these names mm-hmm. as I do of male leaders. But that's mm-hmm. a whole different thing. So let's, let's talk about some numbers. So according to Tennessee State University, there are thousands of cults in America and some harmless some dangerous, not surprising. They go on to define cult as a group or movement held together by a shared commitment to a charismatic leader or ideology. It has a belief system that has the answers to all of life's questions and offers a special solution to be gained only by following the leader's rules. It requires a high level of commitment from at least some of the members. So again, the definition can get quite murky and cause a lot of debate. For instance, there's a heated conversation right now around Till Swan, a new age spiritual self-proclaimed health guru who purports to the powers that allow her to not only look inside people's bodies and see what's going on, but also allow her to recover repressed memories within people and deal with childhood trauma. She was one of the names I did see. Students pay $2,000 or more to work with her. The debate around her sparked after a student of hers took their life. Swan, who has a huge social media presence, has encouraged followers and students to imagine their suicides in detail. She says, quote, we're all going to get suicidal for a moment. Hmm. In some of her YouTube videos, she calls suicide a relief, a reset button. Her channel has half a million subscribers. And at the same time, she creates a space for conversations around suicidal thoughts and child sexual abuse. She has plenty of seemingly harmless content on finding joy and stuff like that and videos that have racked up millions of views. But she does this without any real accountability or responsibility when people who listen to her may need professional help. Some members of the, quote, Till tribe claim that the only reason they're alive today is because of what Till taught them. Mm. Yes. And if you want to learn more about Swan, you can check out the six-part Gizmodo podcast series called The Gateway. Pretty much everybody we talk about in here and every cult we talk about has either a podcast, a Netflix documentary, or both. So if you want to learn more, <laughs> you can. The, the 
mediums are out there for you. And this is a case where we're really having to, as a society, update our thoughts on cults to include modern circumstances and technology. Teal uses SEO or search words basically to target vulnerable people. So if someone searches, I want to kill myself, they might get served up her videos. Some argue this is also an instance of cults run by women not being taken seriously as compared to cults led by men, that cults run by women aren't labeled as cults when perhaps they should be. The word cult itself is often gendered when it comes to things like cult of skincare or cult of domesticity. Multi-marketing companies are sometimes put in the same category as cults, many of them run by women. Obviously, that's a whole different topic and not all MLMs would qualify as cults, but mm-hmm. just, just for instance. And I think there's another conversation we could have about things like QAnon and how they target women through self-help and yoga groups with these ideas of protecting children often and uh, just all of that sort of being dismissed as, oh, that's a lady thing. We don't need to pay serious attention to this. All right. I know we definitely talked a little bit about that in our past episode on QAnon and women when the, we talked about the specific groups, such as the Red Pill group and all of that, which does target women in that group, as well as giving them mentors, which is familiar, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then who their leaders are and who they see as leaders. And typically, they're all moms of some sort or caretakers of some sort. So it's definitely interesting to see that. So cult leaders themselves are generally charismatic, compelling, and absolutely unshakable. Like they will argue with you until the cows come home. (laughs) I couldn't think of a better saying. (laughs) Uh, They're often compared to domestic abusers and follow a lot of the same patterns, including starting with something called love bombing, basically showering you with attention, not always positive. And in the early stages, a seduction period where the person recruiting you makes you feel special, which is very familiar as we know when it comes to grooming. But in a cult, there are promises of family, of meaning, of enlightenment, empowerment, money, being a part of something more and the bigger and the role you'll play in that. And then once you've got in, isolation is next, exerting control. Right. From University of Tennessee again, most cult leaders have narcissistic personality disorder. Symptoms include an excessive need for admiration, disregard for others' feelings, an inability to handle any criticism, and a sense of entitlement. So when it comes to who these cults target, while vulnerable people or people in a transitional period in life, like if you've just lost a job or gone through a really big breakup, are often targeted, no one is immune. From J.N.T. Tam, who wrote Cartwheels in Asari, a memoir of growing up in a cult, quote, the aptitude and capacity to exploit human beings is universal and with the right ambitious and charismatic leader, any group easily could morph into a cult. And Dr. Yanya Lalich, a cult leader researcher out of California State University, says, cult leaders will always get their people to what I call reframe their lives. They reinterpret their lives so they see everything from before the cult as messed up, and only by staying with the cult leader will they get straightened out. From Dr. Alexandria Stein, author of Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, Attachment and Cults and Totalitarian Systems, all of it is about arousing fear in the victim. Once you're fearful and they're the only person you've got, you will go towards the only resource you have, which is the person who is frightening you. If I'm frightened, I go and see my friend or call my mom. It's instinctive. But when the only person left is the frightening person, you are trapped. You're trapped emotionally, clinging to them, hoping they alleviate the pain, but that never happens, so you end up in a feedback loop of fear. From there, you cognitively disassociate and become unable to think about the situation you're in. 
That's why it's so hard to understand from the outside. People say, why doesn't she just leave about someone in a relationship? And why didn't they just leave about someone in a cult? They're trapped there by a trauma bond and unable to think clearly for themselves. So toxic masculinity fits perfectly with these cult leaders. Commodification and control of female bodies, a need to display power at all times. And because of this, heterosexual men often use their position as cult leaders to meet their predatory sexual desires. And we've seen a lot of accounts of that. There are accounts of women in cults forced to get abortions having sex with a male cult leader. Violence, emotional and psychological abuse, and coercion are frequently employed against women in cults. And cults sometimes separate children from the parents allowing for sexual abuse. And in several instances, there are women propping up the male cult leader and the cult itself, helping with recruitment and the general running of the cult. Uh, Jim Jones' former lover, Carolyn Layton, was right behind them in terms of influencing the Jonestown massacre. Or there's Naomi Jessup, the favorite wife of Warren Jeffs, who stood by and offered counseling while he was undergoing trial and sentencing for child abuse and molestation. And he ended up serving time for aggravated sexual assault for underage girls. However, it is important to point out that, that these women themselves were indoctrinated. And again, when we talked about the Manson family, we talked about the women talking about not knowing what they were walking into, thinking they were just coming into a circle of love, essentially. Again, because they came into this young and trying just searching for something. What differentiates them from other members is that they were able to earn the cult leader's trust and thus power for themselves. Often this is a form of protection or self-preservation in the face of trauma and abuse. Holding a position of trust can shield them from rules and punishments other members face. Perhaps again, forming a trauma bond with the cult leader. And again, this is very reminiscent of being in a uh, volatile relationship. They frequently head up recruitment, projecting a maternal nature and caring to bring in new members. And many of them, often young women, use for the cult leader's sexual gratification. And of course, if you look at who they are and sometimes what they're called, they're often just called mother or mother so-and-so. So it's interesting to see Again, the naming. Uh, mass weddings, arranged marriages, grooming, forced abortions, and reproductive control, and all forms of sexual abuse are so frequently utilized in cults. Right. Another example of a cult recently garnering mainstream attention is Nexium, the so-called self-help organization that's now called a sex cult once members started getting arrested. Nexium dictated that members cut off ties with friends and family, replacing those relationships within the group while controlling pretty much their entire lives. While the leader slash founder is a man, Keith Rainier, or Vanguard, as he went by, a man that members believed was the smartest man alive and therefore the planet's only hope for survival, it was largely run by women. And it was co-founded by a woman named Nancy Salsman, a.k.a. the Prefect, who was a registered nurse. The women were the ones doing the recruitment, presenting the public image. Actor Alison Mack was one of these women. She's become one of the faces you probably think of first. What Nexium offered was largely run by women and geared towards women, sold as self-help sessions promising happiness and independence. Intense 12-hour sessions ran at $7,500. In the words of a former member on the podcast Escaping Nexium about her experience being a DOS or Dominus Obsequious Sororium in Latin or Master of the Slave Women, this was a women's group advertised to her as a badass bitch boot camp. Others said it was painted as a feminist group um, desiring to help women deal with intimacy issues. The former member went on to describe how she was pressured by her master 
a woman she counted as a friend and trusted to get a brand when she was inducted, which she only found out later included Ranier's initials. Getting the brand required the woman to be naked, bound, and taped, like filmed. Before they received it, they were supposed to say, please brand me. It would be an honor, an honor I want to wear for the rest of my life. I believe that was so they could prove that they consented. The ex-member described this whole process as similar to the frog in the slowly boiling pot. Incremental, in stages, cutting her off from support systems that may have helped her. She said, you know, if you had told me I'd be getting a brand at the beginning, I would have said, no way. But it just happened so slowly. Members of DOS were also required to give up something as collateral, like a video of them masturbating or a confession of being the victim of sexual abuse, often false. Renier once said he believed women were easier to control and he would turn women against each other, especially if there was any resistance or defiance. So if you had a kind of higher up position and you did something he didn't like, he'd be like, well, I'll just go to her. She doesn't complain. He was extremely controlling about their weights, too. Mm. So Mac was arrested and federally indicted on charges like sex trafficking. Uh, she appealed, pleading guilty to two charges of racketeering. And Renier was sentenced to 120 years in prison in 2019 for charges including exploiting a child in possession of child pornography. Also, something you should note, several women were behind taking Renier down. Yeah, I know that there's a whole documentary about that happening. Yeah, this just remind me, and I was telling Samantha before we did this, we could do a whole episode on just the level of misogyny involved in this one alone because a lot of people were like, how did kind of that same idea, how did so many, you know, seemingly very smart women who get into this kind of feminist camp, but it was just full of this toxic, like misogynistic ideas. And it's really, it's really fascinating. So I think we could come back and revisit this one, but it did remind me of things like Wicker Man where you like send the women out to bring people back into your I, I don't know that one. <laughs> That's one I don't know. Well, you know about the bees, though. Not the bees. I don't think so. Samantha's giving me an empty look. Well, that's one of my favorite. That's one of the most well-known Nicolas Cage memes. <laughs> I, I need to go back and look it up now. I feel like I'm missing out somehow. Yes, but yeah, I mean, one of the big things that was successful, again, we can get into this, is the fact that he did use women to recruit. And that's been a trick from the yeah. beginning. We know this. That's kind of what's happening within trafficking as well. We know a lot of that happens to be Typically, people who are in that life and being told, this is great, let me show you how it'll change your life and it's not as bad as you think. And mm -hmm. they grow to trust because just like in many schemes, you find for so many people who trust women when it comes right. to that and thinking that they're, they're safe and they can defend mm -hmm. themselves, kind of that whole level. So it's a whole different conversation in itself and the tactics on recruiting, which again, has been used before in mm -hmm. many ways. Uh, again, this doesn't mean women can't be cult leaders. And yeah, We'll get into that after a quick break from a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Just a brief disclaimer. People, including the women we're going to talk about, do still argue about uh, whether some, if not all of these, constitute as cults. There are particular issues around racism, sexism, and yes, any like anti-anything-but-Christianity sentiment. But here are some examples that commonly come up when you're talking about women cult leaders. Let's start with one 
that might be the most well-known thanks to the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country, Sheila Bernstiel or Ma Anad Sheila. Most well-known is, that's probably very specific to when you were born, actually. But for me, this is one that's up there. <laughs> I was going to say, this is one that I watched, for yes. sure. I, I remember when it came out, I didn't watch it, but I just remember hearing people talk about it. And I was like, wait, this is a documentary? This really happened? <laughs> yeah, and she is still just chilling. Yep, she is. Uh, <laughs> so she, she was not technically the leader. Uh, as the personal assistant to the Indian guru of Rajneesh Puram, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, she exerted a lot of control. She convinced him to purchase the plot of land that would become Rajneesh Puram, which she later purchased herself. She was in charge of external communications, big events, the cult's foundation. She controlled the diets and clothing of members. Many suggest that she really ran pretty much everything. The Rajneesh movement was a combination of Western philosophy, Eastern mysticism, and free love. At its peak, there were thousands of members worldwide, many of them upper-class white people looking for enlightenment. And at one point, the cult was worth about $65 million. When they were kicked out of India in 1980, they moved the movement to Waskow County in Oregon and built this mini city, Rajneesh Puram. Their neighbors viewed them as a dangerous sex cult. The tensions between the locals and Rajneesh Puram escalated. There was arson, immigration fraud, espionage, an arms race, all kinds of things. If you haven't watched it, you should, because just the interviews with the townspeople is entertaining. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Sheila went to jail for 39 months for planning and carrying out biological terrorism. Uh, No one was killed, but yeah, over 700 people were poisoned in an attempt to impact local elections. There's a whole thing about politics in here. Pretty interesting. Sheila had fled to Europe, but was arrested in Germany in 1986 and extradited to the U.S., where she faced federal and state charges, including wiretapping, attempted poisoning separate from this one bioterror event, immigration violations, and attempted murder. And when people who lived at Rajneeshpuram watched the Netflix documentary, many of them expressed complete shock at how much power Sheila wielded. Uh, Sheila herself had seemed surprised at the parts of the documentary she watched, including when she escaped Rajneeshpuram and Rajneesh said of her, quote, she did not prove to be a woman. She proved to be a perfect bitch. But she said in response to questions about it, how can one's opinion change because someone said something negative about me? I love the man. I still love him. And for her, it was and is always about him. Or she does a really good job of making it look that way. I will say she is a an interesting and charismatic speaker when you watch her because she did a lot of like uh, media for mm-hmm. the group. So it was interesting for sure. Yes, and she has a lot of really, really good quotes. Um, Here's one. What does love have to do with sex? We are taught to associate sex with love to compensate. You feel sexual but are afraid to declare it. You say, I love you. In my life, it has always been separate. I can tell someone I want to go to bed with them. I have no qualms about it and enjoy being in bed. And if I love somebody, I love somebody. They are two separate events. And I love this. When compared to Kellyanne Conway, she said... No, I don't allow that comparison. That much pride I have. (laughs) (laughs) She has standards, okay? (laughs) And then she also said, in spite of the guillotine, they haven't killed me yet. They haven't killed my spirit. No matter where I go, I will always wear a crown. I'm not afraid of being under guillotine. She was talking about like, if you're in power, there's always the threat of the guillotine. And this was what she said. Yes. I like it. And yeah, after the documentary, a lot of people admitted to loving Sheila. And some even argued about whether or not she was a feminist or a feminist figure. Her catchphrase was tough titties. Again, yes. 
These days, Sheila runs a care home in Switzerland and remains unapologetic, saying that calling it a cult is insulting. Uh, and yeah, not to... Again, these are real people and there were real ramifications. Right. But she certainly was charismatic. And I think she was even on the cover of some big magazine naked. Like she... Mm-hmm. She was influential and she controlled, she had a lot of power within this right. group. Some of the past members when talking about her is obvious like they, they were traumatized, but also some of them were really like, she did this. Like she just kind of mm-hmm. that level of like, wow, the control or just the background player that she was and surprised uh, many people. So it was really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so next we want to talk about Park Chan Han Moon, who was married to the founder of the Korean New Age Unification Church, Sun Myung Moon. Founded in 1954, the Unification Church was at peak popularity in the 1970s, perhaps reaching 50,000 members around the world, despite boasting millions. Uh, 1971 is also the same year the moons moved the church to the U.S. The church advertised a feeling of belonging, peace and love, tolerance, enlightenment, spirituality, and happiness. In 1960, Sun married the then 17-year-old Hawk, and they would go on to have several children together. Sun claimed himself to be God's Messiah, meaning that his words were the end-all be-all, overriding all other beliefs, thoughts, desires, feelings, etc. Because of this, the church and Sun himself wielded massive control over the members' lives. Some reports suggest that Moonies may work up to 22 hours a day while fasting to atone for their sins. And yeah, Moonies was a sort of derogatory term given to the followers of this unification church. Guidelines around sexual behavior were very strict, particularly regarding premarital sex and homosexuality and these mass weddings. And we're talking stadium-sized events with up to 2,500 couples getting married and 40,000 spectators. This event called The Blessing were a part of enforcing these guidelines. Together, Sun and Hawk were known as true father and true mother, the true parents, free from the original sin. They later crowned themselves emperor and empress of the universe. And if I'm remembering correctly, 12 U.S. senators were at that event at the time. Mm. Um, Hawk is also called mother of peace, the perfect woman, and the bride of Christ. Right, so here's a description of one of the mass weddings by Carlisle Murphy and Linda Willer that appeared in the 1997 Washington Post article. The Reverend Moon and his wife, Hak Ja Han Moon, showing a flare reminiscent of old Broadway musicals, held hands and descended a red carpet staircase flanked by white road attendants. After a symbolic sprinkling of water, they led couples in saying, I do, to four pledges recited during the noontime Blessings 97 ceremony. Among them, a promise to, quote, inherit the tradition of the Unification Church and pass its proud tradition down to future generations of Unification families and to all mankind. When the wedding and blessing portion of the program ended, Sun Myung Moon and Hak Cha Han Moon sat regally on two thrones and were given two large bouquets and a trophy. Neil Salonen, a church official who served as master of ceremonies, asked those assembled to thank the moons, as is the Asian custom, by bowing to the couple and most stadium attendees tilted at the waist. Wow. The church made an unverified claim that 3.6 million people participated in this worldwide. They were big on really inflating those numbers. (laughs) Most of the people married in this ceremony had only met a few weeks prior, matched by church officials. The church has no official capacity to marry people, but many consider themselves spiritually married. 
Uh, and Whitney Houston was supposed to sing at this, but canceled due to illness, as the story goes, at the last minute. So some of the crowd could be explained that way. Maybe they were there to see Whitney Houston. Dionne Warwick was there uh, to introduce acts, though. <laughs> and yes, while the church does claim to have 50,000 members in the U.S. alone, the numbers believed to be closer to a few thousand at most. A devout anti-communist, Sun once believed the U.S. to be the world's beacon, but thanks at least in part to financial woes in the 1990s, uh, he flipped, calling America, quote, Satan's harvest. He'd also gone to jail in the U.S. for 18 months for charges of tax fraud and conspiracy. Man, that's a hard flip right there. Yeah. <laughs> Hun founded the Women's Federation of World Peace in 1992, an organization that promotes women working harder to achieve peace in their communities. Uh, she spoke at the WFWP event with former President George H.W. Bush. I said W. I feel like that's <laughs> the way you do it. In 1995, saying that her husband had to save the U.S. from, quote, the destruction of the family and moral decay. Around the same time, her husband elevated her rank to be on par with his. So there's a promotion. <laughs> In 2005, Dr. Sun Moon and Dr. Hawk Moon founded the Universal Peace Foundation, which is considered a NGO in general consultative status with the UN. At 2020 UPF event, Hawk Moon said the goals of the organizations were to set up Korean war memorials in the countries that don't have them and to put together a registry of anyone who made any sacrifices for Korea. By the way, Sun died in 2012. Yeah. And it perhaps clearly we're not really getting too much in depth into the spiritual or religious beliefs of these um, organizations. But this church is considered an example of extreme indoctrinated religion. The followers, yes, are often dismissed as Moonies. Han stepped into the leadership position of the church after Moon died. Through her status, she has become a billionaire. Here's a quote from a former member, Nasuk Hong, from her 1998 book, In the Shadow of the Moons, My Life in Reverend Sun Myung Moon's Family. Quote, Much has been written about the coercion and brainwashing that takes place in the Unification Church. What I experienced was conditioning. You are isolated among like-minded people. You are bombarded with messages elevating obedience above critical thinking. Your belief system is reinforced at every turn. You become invested in those beliefs the longer you're associated with the church. After 10 years, after 20 years, who would want to admit, even to herself, that her beliefs were built on sand? And uh, I guess they own the Washington Times, this unification church, or they created it anyway. Sun built up businesses, um, business empire in South Korea and Japan, and then funneled his attention into nonprofits, but only after he'd stacked their leadership with friends of his. He was very right-leaning and had a strong relationship with the Republican Party in the United States. When Parents' Day was signed into law in 1995 in the U.S., some in the church took it as a sign of how closely their relationship was with the U.S. government. Mm. So, Pastor Hyungjin Sean Moon, one of their sons, is a huge mega and gun guy and started his own church in 2018. He believes he's a rightful leader of the Unification Church, but he lost to his mother. In his words, his father crowned him three times as the heir apparent, but Hawk was under the impression she was meant to take over. And here's a quote from Tess Owen over at Vice about a festival his church held in 2019. Quote, The festival held a safe space play area for kids with signs reading gun-free zone and trigger warning. 
Parents laughed and snapped pictures as their kids strangled pink unicorns and pummeled ragdolls. The MC of the event was Joey Gibson, the leader of the far-right Patriot Prayer, who is currently facing felony charges for his involvement in the violent street brawl with Antifa in Portland, Oregon. Um, there was even a seminar about the sissification of American men. I do remember that one. Wow. Yeah, (laughs) that's so special. So Sean said about his mom, she was taking the position of what was described in the Bible as the harlot of Babylon position. That doesn't mean I see her as a prostitute. Okay. I love I love that, so nice. like quick correction of it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean I see you as a prostitute. I'm just saying. Just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> we do have some more examples for you listeners, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with Sylvia Mares. In the early 2010s, Sylvia Mares was the high priestess of a cult trying to get in the good word with a saint not recognized by the Roman Catholic Church, Santa Muerte, or Holy Death. This saint is often depicted as a skeletal grim reaper, sometimes described as the patron saint of serial killers. And Mares devoutly believed. There's not too much out there on her, But what we do know is she killed a friend of hers with an axe in 2009. One of the followers, 10-year-old family members, was the next. Most of the members of this cult were family members of Sylvia's. And then the members would slit open the veins of victims while they were still alive and drain their blood into containers. And they would spread the blood on an altar to Santa Muerte, believing it would bring them good fortune. In 2012, Maris was sentenced to life in prison. It's estimated 2 million people follow Santa Muerte in Mexico, where the following of Santa Muerte is believed to have originated. Santa Muerte was added to Mexico's list of registered religions in 2003. So there's a lot of back and forth about the cult status of the Santa Muerte following. And this is very specific to this woman and her family for the most part in general. So earlier in 2021, Anna Elizabeth Young, or Mother Anna of Cobb County, Georgia, so in our neck of the woods, was sentenced to 30 years in prison in Florida. Uh, Young ran a cult in the 80s when was charged for second-degree murder for a two-year-old after her mother gave him to the cult. He was left in the closet without food and water where he eventually died. Young pled guilty to the fatal seizures of a two-year-old girl caused by withholding her medication. So sad. Young owned four acres of land in Florida for the House of the Prayer of the People, a so-called religious boarding school uh, in a place nicknamed the town that time forgot. Members wore robes and head coverings, and the belief system was a mixture of Old Testament ideologies and collectivism. Young was controlling and obviously abusive. Um, When a seven-year-old boy stole a piece of candy, she deemed he should be punished with 33 lashes in reference to Jesus' age when he died on the cross. And in 1992, the police investigated the group after Young publicly bathed a 12-year-old girl in the chemicals causing serious burns, and she spent several months in the severe burn unit. Anna's daughter, Joy, was one of the key people to bring her down, testifying against her after an argument about how Joy was caring for her children led to Joy seeking justice for the children who died under her mother's care. And we thought we would wrap up this part one with the inspiration for this episode, a news item that Samantha saw and brought to my attention. (laughs) 
Recently, a man in Colorado alerted the police that he'd found a mummified body at, quote, some type of shrine. The body was encased in a sleeping bag and Christmas lights. Glitter makeup circled eye sockets that appeared to be empty. The man who brought this to the attention of the police was a follower of Love Has One, a religious group often described as a cult led by Amy Carlson or Leah Am- Amy Carlson or the, quote, Mother God. Her body was believed to be transported from California to Colorado. Seven members of Love Has One were charged with abuse of a corpse and child abuse. Recent reports suggest no foul play, that she was in poor health and drank a lot. Many followers believe that she had, quote, ascended. She herself claimed that when she died, she would ascend to the fifth dimension. Carlson founded Love Has One around 2006, leaving behind her children to do so. She called it a, quote, spiritual organization, and it was heavily informed by New Age movements and ideas. The group offered items like medicinal supplements and colloidal silver alongside sessions promising spiritual ascension. At the head of it all was Carlson, who assured uh, she could talk with angels, that she could cure cancer, she could usher loved ones to other dimensions or have a great awakening for lost loved ones. Before the official website went down, Carlson asserted on it that her past lives included Marilyn Monroe and Jesus Christ, and that she was on her, quote, 534th reincarnation in my quest to recover my beloved planet. The cult was very active online, and that's one of the ways that they targeted new followers. She lived with local followers in one big house, but estimates put membership at thousands when counting online members. Carlson engaged in several of the abusive methods of control we've mentioned and allegedly only let members sleep four hours a day. There's also not too much out there about this one, but uh, some, some said that. The group made headlines recently when 14 followers, including Carlson, refused to adhere to mask guidelines in Hawaii and appropriated the culture with Carlson claiming she was the Hawaiian goddess of fire and police escorted them off the island. As of this recording, officials are still waiting for the toxicology report on her and to positively ID the body. So this is all ongoing right now. Her family claims that towards the end, she was being brainwashed by her own cult and other members of it. Right. And I believe uh, Vice has a documentary that they did of the cult a while back. So it's interesting to see if you wanted to watch any of that. Yeah, like like we said, almost all of these have something like <laughs> a documentary or a podcast out there. And not to hammer this point home, but I think it's worth hammering home that people still argue about whether or not all of these constitute as cults and what why we label things as cults. And so I know we were using cult kind of interchangeably throughout, but just very, very aware and acknowledge that that is an ongoing conversation. (laughs) Well, in the meantime, this was only part one and we have some more for you in part two. So keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, if you would like to contact us, you can. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com or you can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. You can also find us on Instagram at stuffonnevertoldyou. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 